Welcome to A Wealthy Life for Her with Teresa Leftenant, where we discover our personal definition of wealth through conversations with talented and successful women who are living their version of a wealthy and meaningful life. Teresa Leftenant is owner of Reinventing Her Money, a boutique financial planning and wealth management company located on Seattle's east side. Teresa is a licensed financial advisor and certified financial planner professional. Securities and advisory services are offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor. Member FINRA, SIPC. CFP and Certified Financial Planner, the Certified Financial Board of Standards Incorporated, owns these certification marks in the U.S., which it awards to individuals who successfully complete CFP Board's initial and ongoing certification requirements. The opinions voiced in this program are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for an individual. We suggest that you discuss your specific situation with a qualified professional. Our guests are not affiliated with or endorsed by LPL Financial, Teresa Leftenant, or Reinventing Your Money. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 29 of A Wealthy Life for Her with Teresa Leftenant, where we support women who are pursuing a meaningful and abundant life on her terms. As a certified financial planner, wealth advisor, author, and speaker with over 30 years of experience, professional women and their partners hire me to gain the right knowledge and confidence so they can overcome financial challenges that are faced by women as they pursue a wealthy life. And you might wonder, what is my definition of a wealthy life? Well, I believe that true wealth is found when we're pursuing our passions, exploring who we really are, expressing our inner talents and living our personal dreams, all supported by the financial resources we need to make the best choices along the way. Now, my expert guests and I, we explore seven elements of living a wealthy life, which include our finances, physical health and wellness, professional and career, mental and emotional wellness, recreation and fun, relationships, and contribution and legacy. And I share my philosophy on the inner power qualities that women can develop to expand their lives, as well as ideas on how to improve long-term financial fitness. Now, this episode is part of our physical and mental wellness series. I can't wait to introduce our guest, but before I do, I want to share some other resources with you. You know, I have really great ladies on the show and the occasional man, but I'm also learning things all the time. And I want to share those expert ideas in the fields of wealthy living and personal development that are shaping my pursuit of a wealthy life. So in the next few episodes, I'm going to share a new series I'm creating, which is called Seven Steps to Accelerate Your Pursuit of a Million Dollar Financial Goal. You know my passion is about guiding women to reinvent their financial lives and create that wealthy life on her terms. And we all know that the pursuit of money for money's sake is not very satisfying. Money can't buy happiness or love. But we have this system in the United States. Money is an important part of building a strong foundation that supports this pursuing those aspects of life that we really yearn for. You know, I was raised in a little town in Idaho and my father was a banker. And when he was raising me, I was growing up, he wanted to be a millionaire. In his mind, I think that meant that he would have a million dollars in the bank. He didn't quite make it before he passed, but I watched him, his industriousness, his persistence, and his never-ending belief in himself 
that had such a big impact on me. So as I was growing up, I dreamed of having that same idea that I could have a million dollar net worth or more. Now I learned from him and other great mentors and I'm pursuing a multi-million dollar goal of my own. So I'm going to share some success strategies that have gleaned from my years of hard work, learning from exciting successes and disappointing failures. I bring these steps to my clients as I advise them on their wealthy life journey. So let me ask you a question. Are you just treading water when it comes to your wealthy life and your financial situation? Are you already pursuing a million dollar goal or do you think that's just not even possible for you? You know, I've found that few people, few women really know how to increase their income, their net worth and expand their lifestyle to include experiences that they never thought was possible. And talking to clients over the years, I've noticed that we all kind of want the same things. We want to make confident financial choices that support getting what we want throughout our lives. We want to grow and expand as a person to learn what we need to learn in order to feel like we are a success. We want to enjoy and love our family and develop great friendships with amazing people. And we want to contribute to our family, our friends, our community, and even the world at large. So in the next three episodes of my show, I'm going to share seven important steps to pursuing a million dollar goal. I'm going to go into some detail. So you're going to want to make sure you subscribe to the podcast and tune in each week to learn all the steps. I also encourage you to take notes and to talk about what you learn with your family, friends and coworkers. You know, when we talk more about money, we break down our resistance our fear of being judged and fear of doing it wrong. And we can also attract more helpful information on ways to actually manifest that million dollar goal right into our life. So here we go. Step one. I've said this before, but I'm going to go into different detail today. We have to create a million dollar life vision. How much do you really want to earn, save, invest, and ultimately have in your nest egg if there were no obstacles? Write down the specific numbers so you can measure your progress. Where will you live? What will your lifestyle really look like? What will you buy materially? Will you have a second home, a boat, an airplane, travel the world? And who will you share your financial abundance with? Do you want to make a big difference in the world or provide a lifeline to a few special people you really care about? You know, it's about using that incredible imagination that you have on board already and believing in your potential that there are endless possibilities, most of which you really can't see right now because you have to believe the possibilities are there before you can see them. Think bigger than you've ever thought before. I challenge you to do that and buy a journal and name it my wealthy life million dollar vision <laughs> keep it with you and write in it every day as your vision expands and you learn more about how to pursue it one of the things we have to do is to let go of our past financial mistakes because we can't change the past right everything you thought and everything you've done so far has brought you to where you are right now 
is this where you really want to be? Or as my husband says about me, she still has some tracks to lay down. Do you have some tracks you still want to lay down in your life? So to create your million dollar vision, you already know you have to think differently. Having a vision helps you stop repeating the past and allows you to focus your attention on what you need to do next to create your future. Now, I imagine that you might be thinking, hey, Teresa, I've heard this before, but it's easier said than done. Imagining a million dollars, that's kind of easy, but actually creating a million dollars, that's kind of hard. What if I don't know how to create a million dollars? Well, I have to tell you, you aren't alone. This is where most people get stuck. They stop and decide to settle with what they already have. But I encourage you to get beyond that moment of doubt in yourself and, and get over thinking it's too hard. It's learnable. Okay, what will it take? Well, here are a few changes you will need to make. Doable changes that you can learn and with persistence and commitment, you'll be surprised at how quickly you can change. So write these down. Number one, you're gonna to have to abandon your need for approval or caring what people think about you. I'm not saying give it all up. I'm just saying you have to stand strong and be yourself and do what you need to do to pursue and live the life of your dreams. That's what you were put on earth to do. You're going to have to identify and let go of your destructive patterns and, I'm sorry, but some toxic relationships. And let me just ask you, isn't it just time to do that? You're going to have to learn to shake off your mistakes and failures more quickly. Keep your focus on the next step that moves you forward. And be clear about your values. Reflect on them and make them happen in all your choices because that's how you stay grounded and in integrity. Start each day by making a new decision that you're going to live the life you want. Keep quantifying your vision in real numbers because your mind really craves clarity so it can give you the ideas and the inspiration you need to solve the problems. And measure your progress. Celebrate those small wins and those little milestones and learn from what you did that what didn't work because there'll always be those things that didn't work. But that informs the next step, doesn't it? And then build that confidence in yourself. You know, when measured, women often report lacking confidence when it comes to financial choices. And many believe that reaching a million dollar goal is just impossible. But I know hundreds of women that have already reached that goal and beyond, and many more who are actively committed to daily pursuing their million dollar action plan. And I know you can do it too. So, do you need more confidence to get going on your million dollar vision? Well, I'm going to give you four million dollar confidence activators, and I'll be sharing more of these in the episodes to come. But these are really important to know. Successful small wins over time will expand your imagination and your vision, and that builds more confidence. And over time, your vision will become clearer and in line with your values and genuine desires. 
because what you focus on expands and that builds more confidence. Feelings of excitement about your progress builds confidence. Let your excitement build and have fun with the challenges. You know, the foundation of confidence is actually using our imagination, taking empowered action and growing, having that growing sense that we really do have the inner power we need to take risks and to really become more of who we really want to be. So next week, you'll get some more confidence activators and three more steps in my series, Seven Steps to Accelerate Your Pursuit of a Million Dollar Financial Goal. You know, few people take the time to focus on their money in this way, learn what they need to do to grow themselves into the person who has a million dollars. So be different, set yourself apart, go for a bigger goal, get excited and tune in next week. So now I'm gonna introduce my fabulous guest, Wendy Francis, who is a true pioneer in the field of food psychology. Wendy's passion is helping others heal their relationship with food, their body and themselves. She's a podcast host, a best-selling author, a recognized speaker, and she currently operates four distinct businesses. Now, Wendy is a licensed dietitian and holds a graduate degree in counseling and nutrition education, along with certifications in trauma, eating disorders, NLP, grief counseling, DISC, life coaching, and business coaching. This lady has credentials. Her first business was in her full-time private practice where Wendy specialized in eating disorders. In the last decade, she's developed three other dimensional companies, with the most recent company being Overcoming Emotional Eating. And she has developed a podcast and learning platform for emotional eaters. But for the past 27 years, Wendy's distinct advantage resides in her relentless passion for transformative change. She and I share that passion. And this combined with her clinical and innovative psychological background enables her individual clients, entrepreneurs, employees, and businesses to make permanent changes, accelerating professional, personal, and financial growth exponentially, if I said that right. <laughs> That's a big word. Hey, Wendy, thanks. Welcome to the show. I'm so happy to have you with me. I'm so excited to be here. I love your mission. It resides so much with me. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we have a lot in common, don't we? And, you know, I've been so excited to talk to you because emotional eating seems to plague a lot of American women, men too. But according to the article in the American um, Psychological Association, finances can definitely lead to psychological and emotional stress. And sometimes Americans report overeating and undereating uh, as a way to cope with stress. So let's start with just your definition of emotional eating. It's a great place to start because so many people don't really know how to define emotional eating. The truth is, is that emotional eating does not have to be any real specific uh, defined category like a DSM-5, which I'll talk about a little bit later. Eating out of any emotion can, in a regular fashion pattern, 
does imply emotional eating. So this can stand for things like stress eating, car eating, eating when you're angry, bored, lonely, or tired. Those are all ways that people emotionally eat. There are others as well, but just to give you the broad based category, I think we underestimate how much we emotionally eat in this country. I think that's true because maybe it's something that we don't really want to look at, but as you were making the list of emotions that may trigger reaching for food, I did see myself in a, in a few of those. So I'm very uh, anxious to get to your expertise on the topic, but let's take a little break. And so when we come back, I'll be asking Wendy to help us understand the difference between emotional eating and an eating disorder and a whole lot more. So join us back in just a moment. Wendy Francis is a pioneer in emotional eating, author of two books and host of the podcast, Overcoming Emotional Overeating. Wendy is excited to announce a new on-demand education series called End Your Emotional Eating. It's an 11-module audio and video course with a guidebook designed to steer you to figure out your patterns with emotional eating so you can finally end them. Sign up at www.wendyfrancis.com. That's Wendy with an I, francis.com under resources and discover how to accelerate professional and personal growth in your life. In today's uncertain circumstances, talented women are challenged with common financial problems. You may be wondering, should I continue to contribute to my 401k plan? Should I sell my home? Should I stop paying down debt? There are no shortage of financial experts competing for your attention in the media. But what you read in an article may not be the best advice for your unique circumstances. Don't make costly mistakes by reaching for a quick answer to your questions. Visit ReinventingHerMoney.com where listening and answering your financial questions is what we do. Securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor, member FINRASIPC. Wondering what's on next on Alternative Talk 1150? Check out 1150kknw.com. And welcome back to A Wealthy Life for Her with Teresa Le Lieutenant and my lovely guest, Wendy Francis, and she's an expert in emotional eating and food psychology. And we're just beginning our conversation. So, Wendy, uh, before the break, I was saying I wanted to help us understand the difference between emotional eating and an eating disorder. Yes, and it, it there is a distinction when you look at binge eating disorder. Obviously, there's other diagnoses of eating issues or eating disorders, anorexia, nervosa, bulimia nervosa, but binge eating disorder would be the eating disorder that is most like emotional eating. And there is a criteria for binge eating disorder. It must occur one time a week for at least three months. It must be a large quantity of food, although that's not defined. The definition is consuming a large quantity of food 
so much so that it makes an individual uncomfortable in their body. Yeah. When it, so, and when it comes to emotional eating, the reality is it, we've, we see it happen with small amounts of food, medium amounts of food, large amounts of food. It might occur a lot in a few weeks because someone's had a life event happen and it, they may go a week or two or three without it. So there is a distinct difference in emotional eating. It does not have to be as intense, intensely categorized, I should say, Teresa, as uh, an eating disorder, but does still exist rampantly. I see. So, you know, one thing that comes to my mind is, uh, you know, those times when we are just reaching into the potato chip bag or the, the box of cookies unconsciously, is that a form of emotional eating? Absolutely. Uh, unconscious eating, distracted eating, boredom-based eating. For, for many of my clients, it may just start out with that bag of potato chips on the couch every night in front of the television. And what happens over time is that becomes what, what I call a coupled pattern, meaning mm. that every time I watch TV, I must eat. Ah, yes. Well, again, <laughs> I noticed that in myself. So uh, do women have a, are they more likely to uh, engage in emotional eating over men or is it, you know, kind of we all do it? We know that if you look at statistics, statistics say when it comes to anorexia nervosa or bulimia nervosa, five to 15% of that population is male. When it comes to binge eating disorder, 35% are male. So we see the percentage increase in the emotionality category surrounding eating. We don't have great statistics around emotional eating because mm -hmm. it hasn't really been studied or diagnosed. And my passion uh, at this point in my life, I've had, I have many passions, but I've always wanted to get the word out there, so to speak, on like, this is what emotional eating is because there's so many women and men that struggle with this and they have nowhere to turn for help. They just keep getting told to lose weight, which doesn't help the situation. Well, uh, absolutely. And that's one of the reasons I was so excited to have you on the show because, uh, you know, you're actually naming it and, you know, you've made a huge amount of progress in, you know, bringing this topic to a national audience. And, you know, that's really uh, the beginning of the battle, isn't it, is to really just acknowledge it and to understand that there are, that it's a shared, uh, it's a shared challenge for uh, women and men alike. Absolutely. And I think eating disorders in general have had a stigma of uh, isolation and shame. I do believe that in the last 20 years, we've made monumental progress around anorexia and even bulimia. Emotional eating, however, has been the lag behind child, so to speak. There are mm. many people living in isolation and shame around their emotional eating patterns and or binge eating disorder. And my passion and purpose is to get the word out there that you're not alone. And many people do this and it's time to get help. Exactly. And we're going to get to the help in a, in a little bit. But I think especially now, because, boy, aren't we all experiencing this unique overwhelm of loneliness 
Uh, even if you have people in your home, we are being cut off from uh, so many people that we uh, get some, you know, relationship nurture from. And I imagine that that this emotional eating is maybe expanding right now. Absolutely. I mean, that's what we're predicting. Uh, we know that there's been an increase in anxiety and depression. I believe the incidence has increased in anxiety 170% in 2020, 170, mm. which wow. is astounding. We also know that emotion like anxiety and or depression can lead to overeating. So we definitively know that there's been an increase in that because of the increase in emotionality as well as, just like you mentioned, isolation and containment or confinement and what that does to increase our emotionality and cut us off from intimacy and connection with others. Well, there's there's many consequences to uh, unconsciously, you know, just being unaware of this and not naming it. And of course, uh, you know, weight gain and uh, other health issues, but help, help us understand what are the physical and mental consequences to our health? Absolutely. So physically speaking, you know, I, I obviously weight gain is, is something that occurs as someone's in a repetitive pattern of emotional eating. But we also know that inflammation markers increase when somebody overconsumes. And inflammation is one of those things that's really been radically understudied and under-talked about. I'm not talking about arthritis, uh, although that's one facet of inflammation. But we know that body and core inflammation are related to many other disease states, like diabetes, like cancer, like arthritis, like autoimmune diseases. So weight gain and inflammation definitively are linked with respect to the physical aspects of emotional eating. And then obviously some of the disease states that link to both of those, such as diabetes, cancer, and heart disease are obviously secondary implications around the weight gain. But more for me and where my passion and purpose lies is around the mental health aspect. I obviously have a significant understanding and love around the clinical aspects of the physical health parameters around emotional eating. But more so for me is the mental health discord that takes place when someone is an emotional eater. Guilt mm. and shame, and more so shame than guilt realistically, resides around people that emotional eating. And Shame is what I really call one of the underpinnings of a disconnection with self and one's own psyche. It's mm -hmm. a way we do not connect with ourselves anymore when we sit in shame because it's too difficult. Feeling a lack of self-efficacy, unable to feel like you can do it different, a lack of self-esteem. All of these can lead to things like depression and anxiety. And also, um, you know, what came to my mind as you were talking is just the lower productivity and therefore the lower um, feelings of success. You know, as I was talking at the beginning, introducing the idea of, you know, empowering women to go for bigger goals. And, and you really need to have that sense of I'm active, I'm uh, productive in order to pursue any goal in your life, not just a financial goal. 
Absolutely. I mean, if you're, if you don't feel like you can manage the potato chips in your pantry or, you know, your kids Twinkies or sugar coated cereals, it's really difficult to think that you can manage your money or manage a million dollars. Exactly. And I just want, you know, so many women who have different challenges, right? Uh, we all have, as human beings, we have challenges. And so this challenge is something that you can really help people work through. Now, emotional eating is kind of hard to face because it really does mean that there are A, uh, things that uh, are promoting it and B, consequences. So how do you help people face that they might have an emotional eating problem or that they use food to cope with stress? The first thing I like to do and I want everyone to understand is that this is normal. We have to normalize this behavior pattern. It's not because you're weird or different or you should feel ashamed. We have an intimate connection with food as human beings. Our problem is, is that we overconnect with food nowadays and we underconnect with other people and we're not even taught to connect with ourselves. So the first thing is to really recognize just that it's okay and it's just emotional eating. And there is help and things you can do to change. It's not hopeless and you're not helpless. I think when we do feel more normal and that like we're we're with a group of people, uh, you know, I don't even know if girlfriends actually talk about this together uh, that much, but it is helpful to realize that you're not alone. And so what are some of the ways that you help women and men to, to face their emotional eating and to begin to overcome it? So obviously I've you know worked in private practice one-on-one -on -one for a, 27 years now at this point. My private practice is much smaller than it used to be. Um, and you know a lot of what I do is teach other people what I do. It's more of a train the trainer model as I've gotten to this place in life. But in that, it's why I developed the podcast so I can get the word out there on a national level so people can hear it, understand it and begin the healing process, even before they find somebody to work with them individually. And then developing an online platform so that people can start to do that journey on their own, because many people still feel that shame and they're mm -hmm. not quite sure they wanna talk about it to someone else. Like, just like you mentioned, there isn't really girlfriends that talk about this. Now, my hope and desire in 2021 is to begin to bring people together around this topic in order to heal from this on a cohesive level at a larger scale. So taking it from a one-on-one -on -one practice in overcoming to really develop seminars and groups that I could large scale help people learn, grow and achieve the dreams that they have in overcoming their emotional eating and more so overcoming obstacles in life to be who they really wanna be. Well, that's the really, uh, you know, the, the emotional eating is, is the symptom of other things. And that's why you're passionate about the psychological and mental aspects of this issue. Um, and, and so you have um, developed businesses and new innovative ways to reach more and more people, which I want to get into in a minute. But before we go to a break, I just want to ask you, um, 
is it possible to, quote, recover from emotional eating? And what would that look like? It's a great question. I've always, ever since I walked into my own private practice at the young age that I did, um, I've always believed in recovery and healing. Mm-hmm. Even before people talked about neuroplasticity of the brain and brain change, I've watched clients get better mm-hmm. because really what it is, is learning about yourself and then changing and growing in order to achieve what you want to achieve. And anybody can do that at any time. So I absolutely believe that anybody can recover from emotional eating. It's just finding your own path down that mountain. Exactly. You know, what's great about being alive today is that there's so much out there now about uh, about understanding how we think and that thinking leads to behavior. And so when you focus on mind, mind, you know, understanding your mind, creating a different mindset, that is like the window to recovering. And, you know, I imagine that it may be similar to uh, you know, alcohol or drug addiction, where you have to take on the mindset that you're constantly recovering, and then you learn tools on how to do that. Would that, would I be on the right? Am I going in the right direction there? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, by learning specific strategies and coping skills, having some environmental tools and learning about emotional regulation, you can absolutely come through on the other side of this. So that's exactly correct. I mean, One is the mindset shift, and then two is what you do with it, right? The difference between, and I've seen, I've had a lot of clients with what I call cross addiction, meaning they were alcoholics and then they became sober and they started eating, or they were drug addicts and they became, you know, drug free and then they started eating. Right. The difference in recovery from eating, and it's really important to recognize this, is you've got to eat. Mm-hmm. at least a few times a day. So recovery right. looks different and it can really push you to your limits of getting to know yourself because you can't just abstain, which is why I love working with eating issues because right. you can't just abstain. You've really got to do the work and get on the other side of things. <laughs> well, you know, your passion is uh, overeating and, and emotional uh, eating issues. And mine is, uh, you know, financial wellness and financial fitness. And so that is a doorway to transform transformational change, which is really what it takes. So I want to go more into that when we come back uh, to from a break. And I also want to invite you to share, you know, your journey uh, from your private practice into uh, broader entrepreneurship. So uh, stay with us, everybody. We'll be right back after a break. Great. Wendy Francis is a pioneer in emotional eating, author of two books and host of the podcast, Overcoming Emotional Overeating. Wendy is excited to announce a new on-demand education series called End Your Emotional Eating. It's an 11-module audio and video course with a guidebook designed to steer you to figure out your patterns with emotional eating so you can finally end them. Sign up at www.wendyfrancis.com. That's Wendy with an I. 
jennifercrancis.com under resources and discover how to accelerate professional and personal growth in your life. To fulfill the distinctive needs of women, Teresa Lieutenant created an extraordinary pricing model designed to let you decide what's affordable. You can pay as you go for just the service you need right now or receive a reduced price when you bundle services together. Find out how you can get started by visiting ReinventingHerMoney.com and select Work with Teresa. Securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor, member FINRA SIPC. Talk radio that will get you thinking. Alternative Talk 1150. Hi, everyone. Teresa Lieutenant again with A Wealthy Life for Her and my guest, Wendy Francis. We're talking about recovering, healing from emotional eating, which, of course, first starts with acknowledging that that's something that you want to work on. Uh, we're going to go into some different topics around uh, entrepreneurship. But first, I just want to say, um, Wendy, what is um, what is something that a person could do to begin that healing journey right now? Great question. And first and foremost, as I mentioned before, first is just figuring out what's happening. You know, are you an emotional eater? Is this something that's happening for you? And if it is, then finding out what that is for you, meaning are you an emotional eater? And then why do you do it? Why is it happening? What emotions are related to your eating? It's kind of the basic one-on-one, so to speak, of when I eat, how do I feel? Because that's the crux of emotional eating. In that, then obviously seeking specific resources, uh, whether it's books, podcasts, audios, things that will help you then further your journey. But first and foremost, just figuring out what you feel emotionally, and then when you eat emotionally. I imagine in your programs and um, podcast and speeches that you help uh, women, we're talking to women mostly right now, you help women understand how to notice what they're feeling. Because I, I think that's something, I mean, I there was a lot of time in my life where I did not really know the name of what I was feeling. A lot of my feelings felt the same, you know, um, pain and, and anger felt the same as sadness to me. So can you speak a little bit to recognizing feelings? Uh, yes, I absolutely can. Here's the, here's the thing. Uh, we don't teach kids this. And mm. if I have a secondary passion, it would be that like, let's prevent this from happening. And we do that by starting young, right? So what do what are you feeling emotion emotionally? What are your emotions? What do you feel? How do you carry it in your body? And what's the name for that emotion for you? And then also teaching emotional tolerance. So being able uh -huh. to sit with a feeling and realize it's just like a wave. Comes in, gets stronger, stronger, and stronger. And then it will crash and come down. We don't need food, drugs, alcohol, or anything else to stand in its way. It really will do it on its own. 
Yeah, isn't that great? And of course, there are ways that you can uh, tolerate the feeling because sometimes those emotions can be quite strong, right? And they feel like they are going to overwhelm us and uh, maybe take us over. So learning tolerant strategies such as breathing and meditation and, and things like that. Am I right? Yes, you are correct. It's Those are excellent steps to begin. And many of my clients, how we just began was figuring out, okay, when you're feeling something, just sit with it. Don't try mm-hmm. to fix it, change it, stop it, move it, throw it out the window, whatever it is. Just sit with the feeling. Emotions aren't emergencies. They're just emotions. They I love that. Emotions are not emergencies. I love that. It's so true, right? Emotions aren't emergencies. It's really our reaction to the emotion that creates the emergency. It's not the emotion itself. If we simply sit with it, it will come in and move out. Boy, that is so true. It's what we think about the feeling that we're having. And uh, boy, I, I can already tell that you, you know, this program you have, which I want you to explain it here in just a minute and then help our listeners with uh, the resources that you provide. But before we do that, okay, let's talk about, you know, your entrepreneurship, you own four businesses. Do you mind just telling us a little bit about that business ownership journey? I mean, I imagine that you started out working for somebody and then you got some studies in and then you found your passion. Just help us understand how it went for you. So I, I actually was really blessed when I was 20 years old to find my passion mm. in uh, nutrition therapy, in the combination between therapy slash psychology and food. I found that at 20 in at my introductory to nutrition course that I actually took just out of my own desire. <laughs> I didn't have a real interest in nutrition. I just want to know how to eat healthy. And um, that's where my passion began. I found a one page excerpt on, at that time, dietitians working in eating disorders. And I went up to, I didn't know who he was, but he was the head of the department. And I said, I wanna do this. And he said, I'll show you how. Why don't you sign up to be in our department and I'll show you how you can do what that page says. And so I went straight on to graduate school and then opened my own private practice up after graduate school. I'm a little bit of an anomaly in that way. But my first business was my private practice. And it taught me how to manage my time, manage clients, be on the phone, track finances, right? Open the LLC corporation. It gave me a good platform to really play in business ownership and really practice as a practitioner. It was a beautiful launch pad. Mm -hmm. From there, I actually then launched into larger scale businesses, which is where I reside much more right now. We developed Integrative Health Center of Charlottesville, which is an all natural weight loss program that focuses on the psychological components of overeating to help Mm -hmm. our clients really lose the weight they need to and absolutely keep it off and also heal the inflammation in their body. Mm. And that, that constructed my private practice into a larger scale business because we then began to take that to other doctors who wanted to learn how to do this and who wanted to give their patients the psychological benefit of understanding emotional eating patterns. 
And so I learned how to systematize and automatize and, <laughs> and, and take my vision so that it could be carbon copied and train trainers so I didn't have to do it all like a practitioner does. I learned how to really create a large scale business in that. And that's then moved me from Integrative Health Center of Charlottesville to Integrative Freedom, Pure Vitality, and now Developing Overcoming, which is the platform that we will continue to launch and develop as the emotional eating component for clients nationwide to help them both in their weight loss journey and their emotional struggles around food. Okay, so I didn't actually prompt you to give us that story, but it is actually uh, a beautiful example of how you start with a passion that you find in some activity. You start with a vision, you then create a vision, and then you expand that vision as you take action and learn. And as I said at the beginning, you succeed, you fail, you make mistakes, you you find mentors and all of that. And so thanks. <laughs> you are really a perfect example of what I, I'm teaching everyone. And so you've shared with me that you have reached, quote, financial freedom and that you live a wealthy life. Would you be willing to share what that looks like for our listeners? Absolutely. And everyone's definition of financial freedom, I believe, is different in working with the doctors and the businessmen that I've worked with. My definition that I wanted for myself is I didn't want to have to worry about money. Okay. I was raised by a single mom. I did not come from the right side of the tracks. I came from the left side. And we did not have a lot of money at all. I, had, I, was, the, I was the only child from a single mother who was struggling, who got no child support at all and worked a lot to try and make ends meet. We were con constantly worried about money. There was a mm -hmm. constant stress, worry, and fear around money in my household. And so my definition for financial freedom was that I didn't want to have to worry and I didn't want my kids to have to worry. I wanted to be able to have what I wanted and what I needed. Now, for me, because I grew up on the left side of the tracks, so to speak, I don't have the desire to have the $5 million home or, you know, everybody has their own idea right. of financial freedom. Mine wasn't that. I wanted to have a nice house. I wanted to have a safe car. I wanted to have the color that I wanted. You know, there's specific things that I wanted. And I really have defined those more and more as I've gotten older. Right. But for me, really, it was just about not wanting to have to worry if I wanted to buy something at the store. Mm -hmm. And and I love that you made that distinction because when um, people hear the word wealthy or rich or financially free, um, they can even, you know, if they don't want to embrace that as something that they want to own for themselves, then they might want to make a judgment about it, it being that it's um, something that isn't attractive to them. But I love that you reinforced the idea that we all get to choose what that looks like. What is the wealthy life we want to live? And it's all up to us to make it happen in our own ways with our own comfort level and so on. So, you know, this financial freedom that you have uh, achieved or that you feel like that you're experiencing now, is that also expanding? I mean, tell us how you see that uh, in the future. Uh, I'm, I mean, for, for me, freedom in general in life continues to expand because as you have enough resources, enough money, 
you continue to define and push those limits. I now can have people work for me and do the things that I don't necessarily thrive in or want to do. And so then I can move my gifts somewhere else, right? And I can continue to thrive in my environment. That to me is financial freedom. I can continue to find investment vehicles that I feel good about. I continue to save. I continue to teach my children what money means and what saving looks like as they have their own little accounts. And I can teach them those things because I have enough money to put in those accounts. And so for me, as I continue to grow and evolve, my definition continues to expand, as does the way that I use my vehicles and the way that I invest in those so that that can continue to grow and expand as I do. Absolutely. And I assume that you have a great partner. Uh, you say you have children that you're educating to uh, see their uh, financial life in a certain way. And that's really what I'm passionate about is it's a family affair in terms of uh, what what our mindset is around, you know, wealth and uh, having money support, doing what we really love to do, both in business and personally. Uh, so now, uh, you know, before we run out of time, I want to give you an opportunity to tell us about the resources that you have on your website for uh, women and men who are wanting to look more into overcoming emotional eating. And then also, if you can mention your two books. Certainly. So uh, at com, I've got a number of resources there. The the new online end your emotional eating uh, course. That's a platform we developed that has 11 audio videos, roadmap uh, guidebook uh, to help people really end their emotional eating by understanding their patterns. We have some other resources there, a short ebook on the psychology of weight loss so people can understand the psychological parameters about that component. And then, yes, I actually have three books. I think right now we've got two up on the website. The third will come up, but I have written two best-selling, uh, best-selling novels, uh, Shattering the Belief Code and The 3P Protocol, and then also Inspired Eating 101 Biohacking Recipes for Quick, Healthy, and Sustainable Weight Loss. So I have those up there as well, and you can find them on Amazon. Awesome. Those those are great. I, I'm going to order both the, the shattering the belief code because there's always a new layer to understanding, you know, our our belief systems, which is our thinking, how they limit us, how they expand us. And I'm assuming that that is more of a general transformational book as opposed to just focusing on eating disorder. Is that right? It is. And but I've also got some with permission. I got some uh, annotated stories in there that are client stories based on what we did with around their coaching, whether it be life coaching or eating issue coaching. So that's woven throughout Shattering. Awesome. And then you have a podcast. Uh, it seems like you're a little bit ahead of me in number of episodes, but uh, you started that last year? I started my podcast in February of this year. Oh, February. Okay. We wanted it to come. I actually had wanted to do this for two years. And so finally, 
had a moment. Uh, I actually went to a large conference when there was conferences back in January. Uh, and I wound up going to Oprah Winfrey's 2020 vision because, you know, uh, gurus need a guru. And uh, <laughs> I had a moment in that in that stadium where I turned to one of my greatest, dearest friends and I said, you know, I'm just going to do it. I've been saying I was going to do it. My hesitancy was developing a platform for another business because I already have a number of businesses on my plate and a number of children. But the truth was, this is such a passion and heart project for me. I, I, I couldn't stop it out of fear. I teach people not to live out of fear. And I was doing the same thing. And in that, I recognized it and shifted that around. And we then began the Overcoming Your Emotional Eating podcast, which can be, which can be found on iTunes and or at the website I spoke about. Well, I can only say that, uh, you know, my own personal development and growth since uh, doing this podcast has been huge. And it's such a fun thing to do, isn't it? You get to talk to fabulous uh, uh, winners and folks that are really pursuing their passions. So um, everybody listen to her podcast. And, um, you know, we, we are out of time. But what's the best way, again, for our listeners to reach out and seek more information and, and maybe work with you? www.wendyfrancis.com is the best way to find me. But you can also find me on LinkedIn and Facebook and Instagram under Overcoming Emotional Eating. We have many posts and different things that go out weekly. So you can take a look at those as well and connect with me on any of those social media platforms. Well, I told Wendy uh, that I really uh, was a, a little bit jealous of her social media program because you really have beautiful and really uh, informational uh, postings on LinkedIn for sure. So thank you so much, my friend, for being with us today. And um, next week, our guest will be Annette Bond. She's a certified image consultant, and we'll be discussing how to elevate your image so that you can attract more of what you desire, whether it's in your business or your personal life. So thank you, everyone for listening and being a part of our wealthy life for her mission. I know there's so many shows and podcasts to choose from, so I'm grateful that you chose ours today. And if you enjoyed yourself, just share the show with your friends and family and subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast platform. I want to thank Alexis, Lieutenant Gregory, who composed our theme music, Eric, my producer, the support staff at Financial Advocates, and everyone at KKNW 1150 AM. You can connect with me on LinkedIn, Facebook, and YouTube under Teresa, T-R-E-S-A, Lieutenant, and sign up for our free training, Seven Financial Tips to Survive COVID-19, on www.reinventinghermoney.com. Remember ladies, financial independence is your birthright. With the right education and empowerment and the right financial advice, you can overcome any financial challenge and create a wealthy life on your terms. See you next week. Teresa is founder of Reinventing Her Money and author of Reinventing Her, helping women plan, pursue, and capitalize on their next chapter. Available on Amazon. She is a certified financial planner and wealth advisor for professional women who aspire to a wealthy and financially independent life. Learn more at reinventinghermoney.com.